Welcome to Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Join us in a sex-positive awakening adventure to help create a sex-positive world. Become part of a movement and start living a sex-positive lifestyle free of sexual shame and guilt. Adult Bedtime Stories is a Raven Slayer production. Adult Bedtime Stories is a show dedicated to bringing sacredness back to our sexuality and to learn about everything sexual. Allow the beautiful sexy creature within you to emerge. Each week the focus of the show will be on a different sexual topic designed to enlighten you so you develop more fully as a sexual being. This is a sex education that you didn't receive in high school but should have. Imagine for a moment that we could change the world and live a sex-positive lifestyle. In our sex-negative world, the process of socialization teaches us to feel shame and guilt around sex. By adopting a new set of attitudes and values around sex, we can view sex with a new understanding, which is accompanied with positive emotions and the attitude that sex is a sacred act. I am Lady Boy Chi a sex expert, a life coach, and a sacred harlot. My life vision is to create a sex-positive world through adult education and BDSM performance art. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Adult Bedtime Stories. And I am Ladyboy Gigi, and I have Paul and Jordan with me tonight. Tonight, we're going to be talking about healing a religion-based trauma around sex and sexuality. And I know I've experienced a lot. I mean, my father was a minister, after all. <laughs> I have Jordan really had a passion for this topic. She's one of my fellow sex coach students who is has her certification in sex coaching and kind of specializes in this area so i'd like to turn it over to you jordan and talk a little bit about what got you interested in religion and the guilt and shame and overcoming all the trauma of being doctrinated by the church well, first off, Gigi and Paul, thank you for having me. I, I appreciate the invite to be on the show. So I'll say that for me, this topic is important because it's something that I experienced. And it was something that when I was in my training, I got to learn that a lot of other people were experiencing as well. And by that, I mean trauma from religious indoctrination when we were children. And then we grow up and it it sticks with us. Yeah. So I would say that, that it was, it was personal experience mixed with 
what I learned in my sex coach training, felt that there was a real need here. And so here we are. Mm-hmm. And I know for me, it was crazy growing up. I had a babysitter that liked to play doctor with me. And after that first occurrence, I fell in love with it. I love those tingly sensations down there when she fondled me. And so I started seducing babysitters, but I quickly learned I had to be very sneaky about it. And I didn't get caught for years. And then we moved to Silsby, Texas. And I was playing with some boys and girls out in the woods. We were playing doctor and we were fine. Everybody went home. And then one of the boys felt real guilty about it and told his parents that I forced them to do this. My father being the minister, I was in big trouble, (laughs) to say the least. And so it really was a traumatic experience for me to overcome that because this, I always thought sex can't be that bad. It feels too good to be sinful and bad. And it just didn't add up like a lot of the things that I saw in church. What stands out to me in this conversation so far is that what we're taught in the church, and I guess it's reinforced with our parents a lot of times, it sounds like it was for you. It definitely was for me, with my parents and grandparents. Um, It just doesn't reflect reality. So Mm -hmm. what we're taught, then we go have these experiences, especially as um, hormones start kicking in during puberty and whatnot. And so, you know, we're told all of these things and then we have all these experiences and we're like, well, wait, what are we supposed to do with this? What we're taught is not what's really happening. We're, we want to have sex. We're horny. This feels good. <laughs> you know, we're, we're all doing it. And this, like you said, this can't be bad. And I know Paul, confusing. Paul grew up in a more progressive environment, but did you ever get some kind of some of the religious bleed over from friends and other people. Oh yeah, definitely. Especially when I started going to school, it it was really weird because I grew up in a I grew up in a progressive household and I'd go over to my mom's best friend's house and like she had all of these gay friends and they would throw amazing parties and things like that and I had a very good relationship with a lot of gay men and uh, and lesbians and then when i went to school and i found out that people like hated gay people and that it was supposed to be a bad thing i remember having this reaction like what do you mean they throw amazing parties they like wear such fun clothing you know their food's amazing like you you need to hang out with them they're great like what are you talking about they're bad and I also remember having discussions about sex because I had been taught about it and some of the weird things that kids in elementary school thought about what sex was and like how it all worked were just so completely backwards and wrong. But because everyone else had this understanding, it made me feel like maybe I was wrong. Maybe maybe I had been misinformed. And I think that that did a lot of damage to me. And then as I grew up and I grew up to be an out and out weirdo pretty early on, I was 
the target of a lot of derision from a lot of people based on things that I was interested in and I was flamboyant and I was part of the Gay Straight Alliance and I basically painted a target on my back with the clothes that I wore and the way that I was in the world. So I got a lot of the backlash from it Mm -hmm. and made me grow up resentful and bitter until I realized that some Christians are open-minded and some aren't and some religious people, any religion, people are people. I had to overcome that. So that was most of my experience with it. Well, Jordan, I have a question for you. Were there any particular parts of the Bible that were kind of spoon-fed as examples of what a good Christian should be and especially around sexuality? Mm. Well, of course, I can't quote any um, uh, books or, or verses. <laughs> oh, I don't expect a quote, but like that. anything that kind of stands out. Uh, I will say, though, the, the messages that sort of were repeated to me over and over were certainly um, no sex before marriage. Mm-hmm. Marriage is between one man and one, one woman even sort of behaving in such a way in mixed, in mixed company, as we put it, is shameful because you're uh, being provocative and that was not allowed. And I especially think that for a woman, that's really heavy poured on. It is, it is. And it's- I mean, boys um, are kind of expected to go out on the prowl, but girls are supposed to be innocent and pure. <laughs> We are. And then part of the, the trauma, like we're talking about, is it's sort of in this weird way we make young women in charge of regulating the sexuality of young men. The gatekeepers. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Were there any experiences growing up as a child that were you ever like caught playing with yourself or caught being too sexual? Well, I'll say that I went through puberty relatively early. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was, um, you know, curves coming in and things like that at a relatively young age, you know, a couple of years before my peers. Mm-hmm. So when I was 12 and 13 and 14, the boys that were 17, 18, 19, 20 were interested so I would be in trouble for being caught with older boys, but mm. the boys didn't seem to get in trouble for being caught with a younger girl, kind of you know, so standard. there's a double standard there. Yes. Actually this one time, I don't know if y'all had this or if y'all are familiar with, I think they're called hell houses. Okay. Uh, that might, y'all remember this? No. That might be a Southern Baptist thing. It may be a Southern Baptist thing, but basically... Oh. I think I know it. It's the haunted house, but for the religious. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so every year my church would do this for a few years when it was popular in the nineties. And so youth were a part of the, the cast very often, you know, we were, cause it was kind of a play that was put on you know, production, you know, in the church. And so when I had my, my break from being whatever I would, role I was playing, I would sneak off to, you know, the other side of the church in an empty room somewhere and make out with a boy. And um, when, yeah, I remember getting caught in that and that was just humiliating. 
mm-hmm. um, because, you know, in a small church in a small town, a small high school, everybody knows everything by Monday morning. And mm-hmm. it was a, it was a reputation thing. Mm-hmm. So. Well, what are some of the things that you've learned to overcome some of this shame and guilt and some of the traumas of being sexual and living a sexual life? <laughs> Two things come to mind first off. The first one is fantasy. Mm-hmm. So really allowing myself and encouraging myself and, and nurturing my fantasy life. I have a really rich inner world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, just as a person. <laughs> like, I daydream a lot. I spend a lot of time in my head, maybe because I was an only child. But I would say fantasy, just really not feeling constrained in any way. Mm-hmm. Fantasies, there's no rules there. Yeah. yeah. Nobody has to consent. You know, you don't have to have those conversations with your fantasy. So I would say allowing, allowing myself to really just enjoy my fantasy world. And the other thing would be asking for what I want. Mm-hmm. So as like we were saying, women are often the gatekeepers and we're, we'll say in, in the vanilla world, most of the time we're the receivers. Mm. And so to, to ask for what I want and not just be willing to receive whatever I got yeah. was, is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you still feel any of the pangs of the trauma come up even to this day, like from time to time? Not so much now. I think mm-hmm. a lot of it was, was resolved through my sex coaching mm-hmm. <laughs> training. But I will say that it was not until I got to training that a lot of that was starting to crack open and not because I couldn't deal with it or, or didn't have tools. I was just unaware of it. Yeah. I mean, it's just like you feel shame and you don't even know where it came from because it's so buried, Yeah. you know? And I think the SAR helps the sexual readjustment, attitude readjustment training that Definitely. we go through. Uh, did any parts of the SAR stand out for you? Yes, actually, I had an interesting SAR um, experience in that I did my SAR with primarily sex therapists. Oh, okay. Um, I was in a group of sex therapists, not in a group of sex coaches. So it's kind of a long story how that happened, but it, it happened at the beginning of last year when COVID restrictions mm-hmm. settled in. So I ended up being with a group of sex therapists and in our small groups, when we would break out and have small group conversations, I started to realize that I was actually feeling like I wasn't challenged enough in my SAR. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we would have, you know, we would watch videos or something and then we would go in our small groups and the therapists were just, you know, <laughs> they were having, they were having an experience, you know, they were really um, having a catharsis. And I was like, I need to see more. <laughs> this, yeah. this was not enough. I'm not challenged. <laughs> That's all you got. <laughs> that so was I, my experience. And I was with sex, other sex coach students. Well, I, I think that's really just a, a testament, um, maybe a sidebar, but just a testament to the to the training that Dr. Patty has set up for us. Yeah. And I think for me, I grew up and I knew I was bisexual from a very young age. 
I knew, knew I was attracted to both boys and girls. And in the church setting, that was so taboo. I mean, thank God they had those big flowing acolyte robes because sometimes I'd get a boner looking at the acolyte across from me and just going drooling, going, ooh, he's so cute. <laughs> that candlelight just really sets the mood, right? <laughs> I was kind of the typical preacher's kid. I was always getting in, well, not really getting into trouble. I was very sneaky about when I did stuff. I got in trouble from time to time for some of my stuff, but everything from EYC, which was Episcopal Young Churchman, I was playing around with all the other EYC people <laughs> and having sex and we did it just very quietly and under the radar, so to speak. And fortunately, it was in a time era back in the 70s where even the EYC leader was pretty progressive. And she kind of didn't give strict supervision like some of the other church members. <laughs> so we kind of lucked out on that regard. <laughs> But I remember going to church camp one time and it turned out the minister got the mumps so he couldn't come because he was highly contagious. So he sent a bunch of 17 and 18 year olds to take care of his 12 to 14 year olds. And they, the preacher's wife came and said, there's basically two rules, no skinny dipping and the boys and girls have to stay in their separate camps. We broke both rules the first night. <laughs> and of course, uh, three girls wound up getting pregnant, not by me, I kept condoms on hand. But after that, they closed the church camp permanently. And wow. then my mother sent me to a special group of Christians that did the speaking in tongues and laying on at hands and this really weird kind of the way out there Christian mystic types to as a cure but that didn't take either <laughs> I have an interesting story and I guess that this is a story that could really only happen in a small town in the south <laughs> Maybe not. I may be surprised. But so the sex ed that I had in my high school consisted of one period, one day, and that was it. So we had health class for one semester and it was taught by the head football coach. Mm -hmm. So, you know, God bless him, but he was not the most prepared person to be teaching sex ed for that one yeah. day. <laughs> So they brought in a special guest and it just so happened that it was the, I think like niece or so, I forget the relation, but it was somehow related to uh, this gal. She was uh, very connected to the, to the church that I went to. Mm. So, you know, she came and she told us all about how she had chosen to not have sex before marriage and how it was so much more special because that's what she had done and that's what she recommended and that we should need to be afraid of pregnancy and afraid of STIs and just wait till we're married. 
<laughs> and do we have any questions? And I thought, well, if I did have a question, I wouldn't ask you. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that I bring that up to say that the, for me anyway, it went beyond just hearing the indoctrination in the church and having that, those sort of traumas there. And then also in home, you know, with my family and, and then, and then school, oh, <laughs> it, yeah. went, it went all the way through. And then of course there were plenty of us kids. Like I said, the, what we're taught doesn't always match reality. There were plenty of us having sex with boys, girls, we were all having sex. And then there were a few of us who just didn't. And they were, they policed us and shamed us. You know, mm -hmm. it was shame from our peers too. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. So uh, have you did growing up in a religious setting, did you notice that people who did have sex and things like that, that uh, they tended to be less informed about safe sex, about how to have comfortable sex, how to have good sex? Definitely. <laughs> I'll say that all of those things, when you are ashamed of what you're doing, you know, in some way, and you know, you're, or you feel you're being told you're not supposed to do it. Let me put it that way. You're being told you're not supposed to, you know, if you get caught, you're going to get in trouble. What you end up doing is having sex anywhere really fast with whomever, yeah. you know? So I, this was sort of a rural area I grew up in. So we would go into the woods to have sex, you know, or we would go to the, to, out to the, to the boathouse and have sex, or, you know, I guess some of that's just normal young people stuff. But we certainly didn't have, you know, in that one day of don't have sex before marriage talk, we were not told anything about arousal, consent, mm -hmm. condoms, birth control, anything like that. Yeah, the things you really need to know. <laughs> or even how to please each other, really. I mean, we yeah. were just kind of going on what, what feels good in that moment, which was really nothing to brag about. <laughs> 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 to be honest, we none, I don't know if anybody was having really great sex at, at 15 and 16. Well, I have a question for you. For people listening that have had a very strict religious upbringing, especially around sexuality, what advice would you give them as far as overcoming shame and guilt and, and the, some of the feelings of, oh, I've been, I'm a sinner now? <laughs> Well, for me, it starts with compassion for myself and really drilling into that word compassion and in there is mercy. <laughs> so having mercy for yourself, that work was a good place to start for me is just, and I don't mean mercy for doing anything bad. I yeah. mean, mercy for having that experience to begin with, for being confused, <laughs> for being uninformed, for suppressing myself at times when I should have just let myself go, you know, so I'd say with compassion. And then um, I've talked to a few women who, who struggle with this and I like to use food as a metaphor, <laughs> like we oh, so yeah. often do with sex. And I would say, you know, start slowly. You don't have to go from um, where, where you were with 
thinking about the the guilt and the shame and sex has to be a certain way to suddenly an open marriage swinging from the chandeliers or <laughs> you know, whatever <laughs> you don't mm-hmm. you don't have to do that you can you can do whatever feels good for you slowly and like with food for example you wouldn't just necessarily have a whole new meal with a new cuisine you would try little bits that you would try one bite and then you would try another bite and then you might incorporate something else new and then something else new and you would go online and research and you would ask your friends and maybe you would hire a professional you know mm-hmm. you you would get help and so i would say just permission to explore mm-hmm. everything that's out there um and I like think i said permission is so important yes permission permission just to check it out i mean you may not want to change anything about your sex life but how do you know (laughs) well i think on that note one of the things that went through my mind early on was that here's supposedly this loving god that gave me a highly sexual body and then says don't use it it's a sin and that didn't add up and i thought Maybe the opposite's true. Maybe it's a sin not to use the gifts that the God and goddess gave us. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love that, Gigi. Yeah. And that just opened the door for me. Just gave me an insight. And I thought I saw so many problems with the church. I used to be the one that I got kicked out of Sunday school one time because I asked the question. I said, in the Bible, Jesus commanded when two or three are gathered together, break bread and do this in remembrance of me. And yet now only a priest can do that. What's wrong with this picture? Didn't, are you going against Christ? Do you ever break bread and drink wine when two or three are gathered even without a priest? Isn't that breaking his commandment? And they said, oh, you've got this all wrong. (laughs) And came out with all these arguments that, well, the church has now been sanctioned to perform this for you. And, you know, you're being sinful just bringing this up. (laughs) What was that like for you? I, I knew better. I saw how things worked in the church and that certain parts of the Bible were interpreted one way. In fact, when I used to be forced to read the Bible, I turned to the Song of Solomon. Hmm. All the juicy bits. <laughs> what a good book it is, really, though, I have to say. <laughs> it's a really good one. <laughs> and I avoided St. Paul because he was the worst on sexuality. <laughs> I think that he was even... Um... He believed in marriage. Yeah. 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 He was, he was celibate and thought all Christians should, but if they have to have sex, they've got to really not enjoy it a whole lot. Right. Well, but if you look at his past, he kind (laughs) of went from one extreme where he's going to orgies and doing drugs and getting drunk all the time and then got saved and went to the opposite extreme and I think that the lesson there is balance Uh (laughs) balance and uh what is that something in the middle 
yeah. Um, <laughs> and so that was some of the ways I've reconciled that maybe the trainings are being misinterpreted. And the other thing that really always stood out for me that nobody seemed to get in the church was that the real message Jesus was preaching was unconditional love and forgiveness, not you're going to hell or he even said, judge not or you shall be judged more harshly. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> or judge not your fellow man. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, did you have like an aha moment that happened all at once where you kind of gave up your religious past or did it happen over time? It definitely happened over time. I will say um, some of it was just natural moving away from, from where I grew up to go to college um, and then moving from college to, to Atlanta. So just sort of normal progression and, and I just wasn't in the mood for it anymore. <laughs> it just, I just wasn't into it. It didn't, and maybe it was a little bit freeing to be away from it, yeah. you know? And, and what's funny though, is that I came back to, I guess, spirituality and God now the last few years, I would say in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. So I guess maybe that's a whole different conversation, but I left. Well, I think it, I think it, it is something to consider because there's a lot of people that are very deeply religious and spiritual and don't want to give up that, but do want to come embrace sexuality as a healthy part of our life. Right. Yeah, I would say that for me, I sort of had this journey of being sort of deeply embedded in it and then sort of gradually coming out of it and then coming not back, but sort of reintroducing myself to spirituality as I see it. Yeah. So becoming intimate, I guess, with mm -hmm. the God of my understanding, not the God that was taught to me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you touch on something really deep and profound. There is a difference between living a spiritual life and a religious life. Religions are the institutions. They are the religious voice out there. But spiritual is more of a personal experience. And it sounds like what you went through was you made a transition from the religious to a more spiritual path. Does that sound correct? Definitely. And I love that um, with sex coaching, you know, mm -hmm. one of our models that we use is the, the, the Meebs wheel. Mm -hmm. um, which includes sexuality or spirituality as part of our sexuality. So I just love that, that that's there for us. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> some religions may exclude sexuality, but sexuality does not exclude spirituality. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're to station break. We, we do a station break where we kind of do a few call outs to some of the things that we have available and I invite our listeners to visit ravenslayerleather.com 
we have training videos and a lot of information and a link to our Patreon page. So if you love this show and get something out of it, give a dollar a month or give just a one-time donation to keep this show going. And I also have my new sex coaching website. It's ggwilber.com. That's two G's, wilbur.com. Would you like to share your website, Jordan? Yes, thank you for asking. Uh, my website is talkaboutintimacy.com. It's pretty oh, cool. easy to remember because it's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> and if listeners have questions, is there an email that they can contact you through? Yes, there's a contact form on my website. And then also my email address is jordan at talkaboutintimacy.com. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to my friend's Erotic Stories podcast, where we listen to the best erotica from our friends online. Relax as you spice up your day-to-day -day lives with a little bit of naughtiness. Search for my friend's Erotic Stories on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. Also visit us on our slash erotic podcast and help us make our podcast better. For years, Minky Couture has been donating blankets to NICUs across the country. Owner Sandy Henry's grandson was born at 30 weeks, and she placed a mini blanket in her grandson's incubator. We want to help other NICU families with the Heart of Minky program. For every adult-sized blanket purchased, Minky Couture will donate a mini-sized blanket to NICUs across the nation. Thanks to you, we can fulfill our dream to blanket the world. Okay, we're back. And our topic tonight is on overcoming shame and guilt and the trauma of sexuality standards within religions. And we have our guests, Jordan, and of course, me and Paul. And we've been talking about the church and how some of the doctrines of the church are so sex negative. <clears throat> and bringing a more sex-positive approach to religion and to spirituality. So, any thoughts, anybody? <laughs> uh, I, I, I actually have a question for Jordan. Do you still keep in contact with any of the people from your small town that were also from really religious backgrounds? And have you noticed long-term effects in, in those people and what the trauma from growing up in a rural place and a conservative place and a religious community did in their lives? I'm not really in touch with them. Okay. No, not ah. really. Um, <laughs> I'm in touch with my family, I'll say that. <laughs> ah. But my, my siblings, I have three three step siblings, I guess I said, I'm an only child. I have three step siblings and they still live there and are raising their families there. So I won't talk about their sex lives <laughs> without <laughs> permission. <laughs> I'll say that it's interesting to see the differences just in life choices and mm -hmm. how we, how we mm -hmm. go about our day-to-day -day lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I have a, an anecdote that I'd like to share 
because um, well, I didn't grow up in a religious background. I uh, I had a best friend for ever since high school, and he was actually one of the first Christians that kind of got me over my like complete like anti-religion and anti-Christianity like edgy teen phase that I was going through because like the way that she was religious was very much based on the idea of like having the love of Christ and embodying like the principles of loving everyone and caring for everyone and really trying her best to do the best in the world and she was always really happy and always full of energy and full of she was just a very good-hearted person and then when she went to college she had built so much of her life on this foundation of religion she really really prided herself in like her virginity but she was very sexual in every way except for penetrative sex and she thought that that was okay and then when she went to college she had a boyfriend that pressured her into sex and then she had sex and then he broke up with her like shortly afterwards and that entire foundation that she had built being a happy person being a loving person built so much on this foundation and when it cracked it completely crumbled to ashes and all of a sudden she went into this deep resentful angry depression and just lashed out at everyone and was angry for years and years and years and didn't trust anyone and was just full of spite and bile and anger and she found out later that she was bipolar and college age is when that tends to really like a a flip switch gets flipped so that was probably a lot of what was going on but I know that it was compounded by losing her faith in God and seeing it completely collapse and for a long time after that, she would go back and forth between feeling really guilty about having sex and doing things that she thought of as unchristian, and then doing those things to spite religion because she hated what it did to her too, and going back and forth, and it wound up being damaging for many, many years to her. And I think you bring up a good point because I've run into this with a lot of Christians, this myth that sex is only penetration of the penis into the vagina. And I knew this one Christian girl, she would suck dick, she would do all kinds of masturbate with the hands, do anal. Mm -hmm. But intercourse was out until she got married because that was sex, but everything else wasn't. It's confusing. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it goes back to the, you know, when you are just told not to do it, you get confused about so many other things. And I think Paul, this, the, the anecdote that you just shared with us made me think about 
what I was saying about how the reality that we live, you know, as human beings, we aren't saints and we aren't, we aren't animals. We're just humans. When the reality of that doesn't match up with the reality that church says it's supposed to be, it just can really, for some people, it can really be a lot of cognitive dissonance, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Two opposing forces and like you wind up wavering between two extremes and neither of them are the reality of the matter, but you get stuck in this back and forth pattern and these patterns can last for a very, very long time. And I think that they, they're very damaging and anything that causes that much cognitive dissonance is likely to make these patterns develop in people. And I think that that's a problem. That's the trauma in the nutshell, kind of. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of the solution to some of this trauma is first be with the pain for a little while, acknowledge it and say, okay, what are you trying to teach me? And then come to a point where of acceptance, of accepting yourself as you are and accepting yourself with all the feelings you have, because there's no good or bad feelings. It's the behavior we do from those feelings. I remember one time in college, I was so frustrated. I'm highly dyslexic and ADHD. And I was required to take a foreign language and I have an auditory decoding problem. And I got so angry. And instead of lashing out, I redirected the anger to starting a support group for dyslexics Mm. on campus. And I went up and I took a stapler and with anger (laughs) drove that stapler into posters about our group (laughs) and just redirected the anger into a positive change. And so we can take the negative feelings and put them into positive behaviors. And while at the same time, reaching kind of an outlet to express that anger in a good, healthy way. Yeah, I couldn't have put it better myself. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's part of the key of overcoming the shame and guilt is to really get to know your body a little bit, your naked body. We were born naked. We weren't born with clothes on. And, you know, I just finished reading Come As You Are, And in the book, she said, babies aren't too fat or too thin. They're not too tall or too small. They are accepted just for what they are. We start out that way. Shouldn't we be that way as adults? Be Mm -hmm. total and complete in who you are today. You are beautiful. And I give you permission to be the wonderful person you are. (laughs) I love that, Gigi, because like we said, it starts with the permission. Mm-hmm. So, Jordan, have you had experiences? I know one of the things, because I, I didn't go through 
religious based trauma, but I had a lot of trauma from my childhood. And I found that for me, in order to overcome that childhood trauma, I had to basically go and find that child that still lives inside of me and <laughs> sit down and talk with it and, and be with it and listen to it and take time to listen to it and let it feel what it feels and be patient and you know gently explain how things are different than you thought it was and it's okay to feel these feelings but the situations that made you feel these this way are no longer at play right now did you have a similar experience definitely and i'll say it's ongoing that experience mm-hmm. you know i know that people there are people who talk about doing inner child work and i don't know if i do that in a formal way but mm-hmm. i definitely do that still sometimes things get get triggered in us or you know we have um a somatic response to something you know we can feel a, for me a lot of times shame or embarrassment is a burning you know in my chest and my stomach and so when i have those experiences i consider that sort of a signal to me that i need to check in with that that inner child like you're talking about and and be really gentle and like you were saying and say you know i'm here for you now and what's wrong, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. just like you would and sort of reassert myself as in charge now. Tell my, my little inner, my little inner Jordan, you know, you're in charge of things now and you're a fully resourced adult now and you don't have to look to the religion or to anybody else to tell you what to do or what's okay. And all of those things that you thought were shameful you weren't shameful for those things. And, you know, you're, you're, you're precious. And, you know, like we were just saying, you're, you're perfect just the way you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's, it's the thought process. And then also sometimes writing letters is is helpful. Mm -hmm. And one thing I learned early on from a partner that was into tantric sex, he taught me about the forming a genital heart connection. The genitals are prime chakra the first chakra, and they are full of passion. They're full of primal energies. But the heart chakra is full of love, unconditional love. Mm -hmm. And by forming that genital heart connection, we can empower the genitals with unconditional love and empower the heart with some of the passions and the, the primalness. And so by forming that genital heart connection, we can become more whole and balanced. It's very healing. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of healed me from some of the wounds of growing up in the church was just realizing. And one of the exercises I did early on was I stood in front of the mirror and I said, looked at my cock and I said, You have given me so much pleasure. You have taken me places I never dreamed I could go. I'm so grateful you're there for me. (laughs) And I used to look at my body and think, 
with all that criticism, you're too skinny, you're, you're awkward, you, you, you screw up all the time. You know, that was the, mm-hmm. the things I saw, the mind talk. And when I started changing that mind talk and looking at the good things that my body brings me, it really made a transformation for me in realizing that I didn't make this body, the creator did. And the creator gave me a very sexual body with sexual wiring. And this is a gift. (laughs) And the sensuality part of it, Mm -hmm. um, I will say that for people who are dipping their toes in or or maybe just starting to kind of walk away from some of those um, sex negative things Mm -hmm. is you don't have to even think about it as sexual or kinky or any of those things. It can just be sensual. Sometimes even just the senses are restricted, you know, so starting there's. And I think you also touch on something. There's often Intimacy and sexuality are seen as the same thing, and they're very different things, or they can be. They can come at the same time, but they can be totally different, and you can be totally intimate with a partner without being sexual. Out of what I call a boy who was a friend, but we were more like brothers. We slept naked together. We never had sex, but we cuddled up together. And that was one of the most beautiful relationships. Everybody thought we were having sex, but we never did. We didn't want it. But we wanted that intimacy. I was at a point in my life, I'd come out of a really bad family situation. And his, that was so nurturing and healing to have someone I could be that close to and that intimate. And I think sex would have ruined that point in our relationship. It was, and he was from a similar background and it was this intimate kind of nurturing healing experience for both of us. Yeah, I like the the concept of platonic intimacy. Mm -hmm. I like that. Me too. (laughs) If you don't mind switching gears a little bit, I've got another question. So when you went off to college, when you first got to college, did you have a transition period where, you know, you had been so used to life with your parents and your life going to church all the time and life in a small town where everyone knows your business. And then all of a sudden you get to a place where you have more freedom did you have a transition period where you had to kind of feel your way around it and how you wanted to be in the world yes um but i think that that transition you're talking about may still be ongoing even now in my 30s Again, I'll say it was sort of gradual for me and it was not one, one uh, chunk of time, I can say. The college that I went to, well, I went to college when I was, I had just turned 17. Oh, wow. So I was really young. And the college I went to was only an hour away. And it was a private liberal arts college with only 
I think there were maybe 1200 students total and 85% of us lived on campus. Mm. So I sort of went to another, oh, and it was a Methodist college. Oh. So I sort of went from a small town Baptist to a, a kind of, it was recreated in my college. So it was sort of, there was definitely a transition because we were still college kids, of course. Oh yeah. <laughs> but it was not as sort of dramatic as it might've been if I'd gone to LSU or I don't know, any, you know, any, any big college like that. It was yeah. different <laughs> for me. The transitions more happened in my later twenties, actually, mm-hmm. you know, after I was married and then divorced and, you know, mm-hmm. and so on. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The time flies. We're coming to the top of the hour already. And I always like to take this time in the show to kind of see what final thoughts each of us has and what you would kind of advise or give insight to on this whole complex thing about sex and religion. <laughs> mm. Well, I'll, I'll go first. I think that I, I know that watching it kind of with an outsider's perspective and like especially with the discussions we've had here tonight that there everyone makes their own pace everyone comes to their own understanding of the world in their own time and like the only yardstick that you have is yourself you shouldn't compare yourself to other people and sometimes it's okay like especially when you're just getting out of a restrictive environment to not know where you want to wind up and not know what you actually want and that's completely okay and that's the time to start asking yourself questions and not necessarily expecting the answers to come right away because sometimes it's in asking the question and giving yourself time to be able to open yourself up to possibilities that things that you didn't even think to ask you might have more questions before you get any answers and maybe pursuing one of those questions will lead you to the answers that you want so don't put yourself in a place where you feel like you have to like you might know that you didn't like where you were and that doesn't mean that you need to know where you want to be just allow yourself to be and go within and ask and and be open to what comes from inside of you yeah i'll go next okay (laughs) that was wonderful paul that was really well put and i'll add to that that i would say again it, it it starts with the compassion and i think that's what you're saying with yourself with where where you've been what you were taught what you might have done in the past or not done in the past and just for where you are now you know like you were saying earlier Gigi if 
just to hold space for yourself mm -hmm. and whatever emotions you're having, thoughts you're having, whether it be anger or longing or whatever. And to anybody who's in this situation, I'll say, first off, you're obviously not alone. <laughs> you can tell from this conversation here. And I would say permission is just the first place. Permission, permission to explore, to ask those questions, to uh, speak up for what you want. Even if you were taught that it's what you're not supposed to want. <laughs> To, you know, if you have a longing, it's, it's worth speaking up for. And in fantasy, I want to just put that back out there again. I think that a mm -hmm. lot of religion even tries to go beyond restricting behavior, but restricting our thoughts and our emotions. And that restricts our fantasy world. And as we know, that's just so important for our sexuality. So I think that that's, that's what I would leave it with there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of touched on this in previous shows, but we really don't come with an owner's manual when we're born. We kind of have to muddle about and through trial and error, find our way. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about what Christ did say was forgive yourself for your mistakes. But the mistakes aren't entirely your fault. We're born in ignorance and we have to learn as we grow. And it's through the process of learning that we have to make some mistakes to grow and learn. And so be easy on yourself and, and allow yourself to make a few mistakes through this process of discovery, because that's how we discover. If we didn't make mistakes, we'd never learn anything. And so cherish your mistakes and forgive yourself for your mistakes because that's where we really learn some of our deepest lessons and be kind to yourself some uh, one that friend i talked about earlier one of the things he taught me was to correct my mind talk he said you are so hard on yourself you're your own worst enemy and it took reprogramming my mind i'd say every morning in the mirror whether i believed it or not Gigi, i love you you are amazing and good and at first it felt so weird to say that but when i'd look in the mirror and i did it every day he said try it for about 60 days and i did all of a sudden that harshness left my mind talk all of a sudden the compassion came in over the period of 60 days. And I actually started loving and accepting myself and not thinking that I was just a total loser. <laughs> and so give yourself a break. We don't come with an owner's manual. We don't have guideposts. Sometimes people come in our lives as guideposts and as people that can kind of give us some insights, but we don't get that automatically. And so be kind and be forgiving of yourself as you go through the process of discovery. <laughs> and with that, I want to thank you both for being on the show. 
It's been wonderful. <laughs> We've gone quite a distance here today. And hopefully it will touch people's lives and help people live a more sex-positive lifestyle. Any last words? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. Oh, you bet. And, and Jordan, why don't you remind our listeners one more time where they, where they can reach you if they're interested in either sex coaching or contacting you for any reason? Absolutely. I'd love to hear from people. Um, my website is talkaboutintimacy.com and my email is jordan at talkaboutintimacy.com. All right. And have those wonderful nocturnal emissions. Touch your body. Get in tune with your sexual self. Enjoy the pleasures of the flesh, for they are a gift. Enjoy touching and becoming in tune with your whole self, not just your public self. Enjoy those naughty bits. <laughs> Have a good night. I find it interesting that adults in our culture are not provided with informative sexual education. Even married couples don't have access to an adequate sexual education and how to pleasure each other. It's assumed that somehow we will instinctively know all that we need to know about sex. I don't know how you feel about this, but I think there's a better method. I would like to invite you to join me in developing a sex-positive lifestyle with freedom of sexual expression between consenting adults. Join us each week to learn everything sexual. Add your comments about the show and any suggestions you have for future show topics. We would love to hear from you. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you won't miss any episodes. This concludes this edition of Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Sex is the final frontier. So explore everything sexual. Good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs> mm -mm -mm. <laughs>